0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction, the only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian-scientist come together to discuss science, comedically.
1: Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 640, Science Faction, Where Did Cats Come From, and Where Will Water Come From? You can't
0: get water from a cat, like you can't squeeze water from a cat. That's the saying. So we know that. We know
1: you. You literally can. I mean, it becomes, it's mostly urine, but yeah. and blood. <laughs> but you can do it.
0: I don't. I don't listen. I'm, if I want a cool glass of water, I'm not squeezing a cat. I think that's a lot more trouble than it's worth. Uh, not only that, the product that I get would be. I, I'm going to be honest. Unsatisfactory. The the juice was not worth the squeeze. In this uh, in this case.
1: Not only that, but, like, what I have to explain to my wife
0: is is going to be difficult.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how you could not be, like, pegged as an aspiring serial killer. Like, every time you read one of those things about, like, Ed Kemper or something, it's always, like, he walked around swinging cats by their tail and throwing them at people. And, like, that's just the way serial killers start off. So the second you get caught with your cat in a fucking Vitamix juicer trying to get water out of his cat. You know, I
0: think nowadays, I don't know, I feel like nowadays you're, you're liable to get your ass beat. Like, Ed Kemper uh, did that one time to some ex-convict's cat and uh, got stabbed for it.
1: Uh, Ed Kemper's six foot eight and, like, 400 pounds. I think he does okay in prison. Okay, in prison, yes. All right. uh, He was probably a baby
0: Huey-like individual growing up. I'm just saying, at some point, this baby Huey fuck throws a cat at me. (laughs) That's my cat. Come here, you fucking pudgy piece of
1: shit oh and speaking of a pudgy piece of shit i of course have your host comedian archaeologist robert timothy with me as always is our comedian mr damien mercado damien how you doing i'm
0: doing great I, I remember the time by the way our buddy uh, keaton tried stole showed up at my house tried to
1: steal my dog <laughs> oh I was with him we both tried to to be fair that was a joint mission you had this was before he even had a license you had stolen something I think it was his no, drums no, no, or something you and I went no no no, room no I and stole them with you that's right yeah. I remember I was on one team
0: you were on my team you piece of
1: shit <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, he stole his drums and drove away. He, he stole his mom's car. He didn't have a driver's license at the time. Came to your house with a BB gun in one hand and a laundry <laughs> basket in the other and scooped up your dog out of the backyard covering himself with the BB gun to steal your dog in a, in a ransom <laughs> swap for the drums, which now that I think about it is actually kind of brilliant. Like he really went fucking Liam Neeson on us on that.
0: <laughs> I love the Hackfields. McCoy's like situation that had, that transpired in my sixteen year old driveway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just I also love that no, that that was such a time that nobody would call the cops. Like this is what the late nineties were. You could have a weapon, be threatening somebody in the process of stealing. Not only just stealing, a living thing. You are some form of kidnapping slash stealing, and nobody <laughs> called the cops. Nobody said anything to the cops. There were people walking by. They're just like, "Wop, well, I guess he's got a gun. He must get that dog now. Like, that was it, and that was the extent of law enforcement's involvement in our young lives. <laughs> that is actually a good a good benchmark for much of what happened with our young lives in terms of law enforcement. I feel it's also, like, now that I know so
0: much more about dogs, it's such a terrible, like, like oh, I'm going to steal your dog. I'm like, oh, now I have to deal with this, like, this... This creature the whole ride home like the drum set ain't bothering me. Let me put it this way.
1: Yes. That drum set did not shit in the back seat. Yeah, exactly. It's, the drum set ain't growling at me oh and if you want a drum set growling at you go ahead and check out our Patreon you can search Robert Timothy on Patreon where you get an extra episode of Science Fiction every single week you might have heard a few of them a few weeks back on our free feed we will occasionally put them in if you want to get all of those go ahead and tune into our Patreon and also big news coming up next week is it going to be next week no I think it will be the week after next but coming up pretty soon is our end of the year show where we do the best science articles or the best coverage that we did all year uh, I'm going to leave it open To you guys, we got some time left. Go ahead and send in your recommendations. If you got a bit or a story we cover that you really like, go ahead and let us know on our Facebook page. But for now, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to
0: particles, this is science articles.
1: All right, article number one Where did cats come from?
0: Now, I know we've covered on this past that we have, like, genetic evidence, like, that traces them back. Like, we know exactly where they come from. So I'm wondering if this is more, like, a philosophical question. Hmm. To even then, I would have, uh, Well, where uh, do they come from, Damien? Like, uh, I, I mean, I would imagine just, uh, okay, this is an interesting question that I'd like to know the answer to. Uh-huh. Uh, when did we domesticate the cat, and did it happen in several places? Did it happen in Africa, in Europe, in Asia? Oh,
1: Bam! David, you just hit on some of the most interesting topics we're going to cover on this story. So, fantastic. So, let's rewind a little bit and start over. Cats have been with us for quite some time because of farming. Now, unlike the dog, cats had probably very little interest in us before we settled down as farmers. Now, we know dogs predate that settlement. Dogs were around when we were just hunter-gatherers because dogs follow us around and eat our scrap packs. Cats are a little different. Cats want to hang around and eat the mice and the rats and the shit that come for our grain or for our crops, That co- the birds that come to eat the corn. They're there to feed on the living Examples of living things that are following humans around, as opposed to dogs who want our scraps. That leads to a few different things going on. One is cats are never fully domesticated, they're always semi domesticated. I Meaning you just toss them outside, they'll be fucking fine. They'll just live their normal life. We don't really impede, in general, unless we make them indoor cats, on them living their normal life. So even house cats will go out and hunt their food and do all the stuff that normal wild cats do, as opposed to like a dog, where if you just kicked a dog out of your house one day and was like, Good luck, have fun, air bud. Like, that dog will be dead in a few days, saw some kind of human intervention, and the cat will be totally fine and probably won't even care. Well,
0: I mean, if it happens enough, like, uh, like if you live in a place where there's, like, dog gangs, um, then if something worse happens, you get, like, you get uh, packs of dogs that hunt, uh, which is not uncommon in certain places in the world.
1: <laughs> Oh, when you said dog gangs, I thought they were wearing like colored bandanas. Well, in the inner
0: city, yeah, unfortunately, uh, they do adhere to- But it's adorable.
1: They're wearing it like a neckerchief like they do when you take your dog to get groomed and you come back and they got that that handkerchief around their neck. (laughs)
0: Listen, if that dog uh, didn't intimidate the shit out of me, I'd pet it. But (laughs) Do not. That is a Latin King dog.
1: You do not pet that dog. Is
0: that a nine tucked into its collar? Doesn't have the thumbs to...
1: So, yeah, we, we've we known for a while the species it was domesticated from was a North African slash Middle Eastern species that is a, a wildcat that exists in those areas. And we know that that is where domesticated cats come from. We also know that it was about 10,000 years ago and coincides with the domestication of crops, so the very first range into the Neolithic in the Fertile Crescent, where... Not surprisingly, agriculture originated. In this place, there was an overlapping of these wildcats' territory. They undoubtedly came closer and closer to human settlements as our grain production led to mice and birds and rats coming close. Humans saw their need and their use, and so... They allowed them to stick around. They didn't hunt them. Maybe they even gave them some some water from time to time. And because of that, we have this relationship. And from there, those cats spread out. Now, there's always this idea. You brought up a very good point. Were cats domesticated twice? And this study answers that question. No, but also yes. And we'll get to that. <laughs> so what Siegfried and Roy did was significant. We're not taking it. So yes, they
0: did. Yes. I mean, yes, the, that lion did have one pretty big slip. Admittedly,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a tiger, and yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> but cats are incredibly important to us because they spread out with those farming communities, and as humans moved with their crops, they took cats with them. Either purposefully as like semi-domesticated things, or incidentally, you know, groups of cats followed them as they as they branched out. And that one radiation event from that one area in the Middle East, it turns out, is the origin of all modern house cats. Now, enough radiation has gone out from that place in the Middle East where, you know, some groups went East, some groups went West, that nowadays, if we compare the S, the SNPs, which are those little bits of genetic data, which is what they did in this particular study, comparing more than 200 cats from around the world, They find that certainly cats in Western Europe and cats in Eastern Asia have a lot of different snips because they are very far apart and they haven't been part of a continuous breeding population. But you can trace both of those groups all the way back along with all other living cats back to the Fertile Crescent about 10,000 years ago.
0: When you say, uh, is there some form of cat that's kind of bred into a house cat or something? Like some sort of wild... uh Like yes. you know,
1: there like are yes. those like
0: cats that are like... You said the, just
1: Texas th- dudes with lions. They're just breeding them into their own form of cat. <laughs> you know, it, uh, out in Amarillo, there's a bunch of guys with some fucking savannah lions that they're trying to turn into kittens. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I've I've seen some dog pairings that would really make you think and kind of horny. So... Yes, I mean, I'm not ruling it out for cats. I don't know their genitalia that well. They hide it from me. Uh, I think, and also there's like yeah. a court order. I'm not allowed to ask. But I know. I mean, but like there are like little uh, smaller hunting cats around. Did, did some yeah. one of them? Did some of them breed in? Because I asked if they uh, if they uh, if they evolved more than once. I was asking if we were counting like uh, ins, cousins,
1: cousins marrying into the family. Well, so kind of. So this is a really interesting story. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. I, I want to talk about another reason why this is so important, why cats are so important. So obviously, we need them when we are farming. They help us a lot in terms of grain retention, keeping the animals from eating the products. Some studies have shown that the influence of cats in Neolithic-type societies, meaning you don't have modern inventions, you don't have modern rifles, you don't have things like that, that something like a cat, one cat, could be the difference to your average farming family between 20 to 30% of their grain being eaten by animals. Obviously some of it will still be eaten by animals, but cats do such a good job that a single cat is the difference between your family having dinner, you know, six nights a week or four nights a week. So like, substantial right and so we could see why it would be beneficial why they're so important but there's other things too we talk a lot on this show about toxoplasmosis that comes from house cats type that we get so the cat interaction with us is more than just something that has to do with agriculture has to do with modern life and mental health there's schizophrenic links to things like toxoplasmosis and obviously we've already proved things like fetal death that happens when pregnant women get toxoplasmosis so just our interaction in terms of that but it goes the other way as well Because it turns out we get a lot of diseases from mice and rats. That could be hantavirus from mice. That could be, you know, the plague from the fleas on rats, blah, 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 blah. And so bring cats in might expose you to more toxo, but it also exposes you to less of those viruses. So cats in their own way have kind of regulated to some extent the spread of disease among agricultural societies by keeping some of those disease vectors, specifically, you know, mice and rats and birds and stuff away from the people that otherwise would be getting infected. And they've done this for thousands of years before we even knew where diseases came from. They've
0: also been protecting us from the beautiful diversity of species by slowly chipping
1: away at the small bird life and rodents. And that's absolutely true. Almost everywhere we bring cats, they fuck up the environment. These are prime hunters. We think of them as like our little cute 10-pound things, and they are small because if they were any bigger, they'd fucking kill us too. They are incredibly strong for any amount of given weight. Their agility, their jumping height, their speed, their claws, their teeth, they are a ferocious hunting machine, and when you take your regular house cat and you let them outside... The studies we see show that they decimate the animal population. And I mean that literally in the term decimate, meaning to take out 90% of the population. Cats are going around, regular house cats, you open your door to let them out because you think they want some sunshine, want to go pee, and they are destroying the local ecosystem. And we've talked about that a bunch on this show. We've done a bunch of studies with, you know, radio collars on cats and cameras on cats. And we basically found that these fuzzy little things that we think are just hanging out and maybe going outside to pee are basically the environmental equivalent of setting off a fucking hydrogen bomb in your backyard.
0: Yeah, we we've talked about this on this show, and we've even talked about uh, how in Mariposa County, you know, where Yosemite National Park is, they they were trying to to put laws limiting people from having outdoor cats. Like you can have cats, but it has to be an indoor yeah. cat, because they were just wrecking hell with the wildlife. And me and my wife were just in Yosemite for the, I was in there for the first time ever. We stayed at a campsite, and I was like grilling outside at this uh, at this uh, campsite, and like five different cats just came up to me <laughs> like like there's they're just they've realized like oh I, there's an abundant food source here at this national forest and uh and not only that like hey every once in a while some humans will cook you some food when you're not murdering birds i was just yeah. amazed how many uh wild cats i mean it must be a real problem
1: to biodiversity maybe we could become like the florida python hunters but for cats and we would have the worst cat video YouTube station, like because because the normal algorithm that sends you to cat videos on YouTube would very much send us the wrong crowd looking at our cat hunting videos. What
0: if we, we I mean, we probably could could get public funds for this setup if uh, you know the the birth rate has gone down drastically. There's an abundance of women in our generation who will need something to dote love on. and cats have always been there. Crazy, there's been an abundance of cats, there's been crazy cat ladies throughout history to handle those cats. That's right, maybe the toxo, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Who owns who, right?
1: Yeah, so this study looked at, like I said, the DNA from more than 200 cats from around the world. They did find that radiation, they did find a single domestication event in the Middle East. So that's different from like animals that have been domesticated multiple times, like cattle has been. I didn't realize this until I got super deep in the research on this show, on this particular article, Damien. I looked it up. There's a species of cattle that was domesticated in like maybe Europe, maybe Middle East, maybe North Africa, someplace in that area. And there's another species called a zebu that was domesticated in India. And like... They're fucking different. Like, they are very, very different looking. And you've probably seen them before, or at least hybrids with Zebus before, but they have huge humps on their back, and their heads look really fucking weird. And that is... Separate domestication events. You know, the oryx, which was the, the animal they were both domesticated from, that was domesticated in one place and it was domesticated in another and that and they can still hybridize and create, you know, whatever, but they are two separate domestication events. Same thing is true of like hogs. Those got domesticated in multiple places. Same thing is possibly true of dogs, possibly not. We know there's one big East Asian domestication, a possible domestication in the Middle East or uh, Europe, though that might also be the original domestication mating in with local wolf populations there. So we're not a hundred percent on that one. Now, I will mention something. We covered this all the way back in 2016. There is a paper out that shows that cats were domesticated a second time, but it's not the same cat. So this is really interesting. So again, the wild cat of North Africa and the Middle East is the origin of all domesticated cats. However, we found a 5,000-year-old burial of a cat in China, that showed all the hallmarks of domestication, except it wasn't that wild cat. It was a different type of cat called an Asian leopard cat. And it looked like it was on its way to domestication based on teeth size, hand size, the fact that it was fucking buried in like a fucking funeral. All of that looked like it was on its way. However, that species, went extinct there was some kind of dead end there it likely was outcompeted competed by the domesticated cat coming from the the middle east and that one just didn't go anywhere but there is no genetic trace of those leopard cats in modern day cat populations so technically some type of cat was domesticated twice not the same cat and the one that happened in china five thousand years later well, then kind of fizzled out and is no longer around they lived for like 30 years, kept out living their people, but their people would bury the cats.
0: And so like a significant amount of the species was just buried alive with their owner. Perhaps I'd, <laughs> I'm just I'm just randomizing solutions out of my ass. Like an AI, if you just fed some possible right. weird, weird solutions to an AI,
1: that's what I just did. So why is this important? Well, one thing is it seems to follow that path of agriculture from the Middle East as it spreads out. That's really important because now we can do, we might be able to use cats as a proxy for that agriculture. You know, you find domesticated cat bones, we know where that's coming from. A second thing is it tells us something about those human migrations, because if we find those domesticated cat bones, even if we don't find the humans themselves, because remember, this is kind of moving migrations, we might not necessarily find those sites, we can understand or at least extrapolate that some type of farming groups were coming through that area, not just hunter-gatherers. But also, this is really interesting. The lead researcher is a researcher named Lyons. And so here's a quote. She's researched feline genetics for more than 30 years and said studies like this also support her broader research goal of using cats as a biomedical model to study genetic diseases that impact both cats and people, such as polycystic kidney disease, blindness, and dwarfism. And she actually did this whole thing on polycystic kidney disease, where she was able to, through a bunch of work, they were able to work on the uh, super high instances of it in like Siamese cats, like 30%, and knock that number way down. And they believe by studying it there, they might be able to also help treat that same disease in humans. So it has some implications you wouldn't even think of just hearing like the title of it. All right, on to article number two. Where your water may come from tomorrow. And again, it's not from cats. If there's any
0: listeners out there with no. like a big Lenny-like no. friend, Lenny from Mice and Men like friend, don't have him squeeze the cat. Don't have
1: him squeeze the cat. No, first the pee, then the blood, but you will get water from a cat. That's not what we're yeah, talking in about. In fact, I don't even want him hugging that cat. I've heard, I've read the book. So yeah, right. So uh, this is an interesting but obscure article in Science Daily right now. You can go check out. He
0: do. He got me. He got me. Yeah.
1: I, I was, I was, you our high school tell. didn't
0: have it as required reading. Why would I have read it? <laughs> it
1: was... Well, it did. I did. Did I read it? But you no, know, I just had, and and you have a tell. Uh, you, you might not realize it, but your tell is when you uh, mention that you've read a book. That's how I know you're lying.
0: Uh, we we read uh, we read uh, Hello Moon or Goodnight Moon. Okay, I yeah, see. That's fair enough.
1: we were in the same same school but different classrooms. I, I had to write a report on it. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is an interesting but obscure article in, in Science Daily. It looks at a really interesting source of potential fresh water for arid areas. Right now, we are seeing massive droughts throughout the world. Uh, we are living through one here in the American Southwest, a massive drought, but so are places like Europe, so are places like India, and this is having far-reaching effects through massive populations. You're talking about some of the population centers of the world. Southern California's massive populations. India, massive populations. So when we are seeing that, what are our solutions now, Damien? What do you propose? What would you propose as a solution for uh, drought?
0: Uh, okay. Well, my futuristic solution is we just discovered uh, the. the beginnings of fusion have that on desalinization. That's a very energy intensive sure. process. Desal. So let's say desalinization. Yes, but it's currently super energy intensive. And so it's currently not worth it, but with, uh, with fusion, perhaps it would be, but you've actually said something on the show and I've been putting this out there and I, and, I, and I've looked into it <laughs> and it's seems like solid, but basically um, uh, having a national watershed, we have some parts of this country that get a fuck ton of water. Yeah. We have some of those parts of the country that don't. And just, you know, the same way we have
1: like a power grid, I have a water grid. Yeah. And there's there's plans for a possibility of that. Like, that's not just a theoretical thing that could actually happen. It is a very feasible thing. There's some issues like the Rocky Mountains, but like, eh, we could solve that shit. Like, there is a very reasonable way to balance that and make it happen. It would happen. add Though worth a, to the
0: South. It would add worth
1: to the South and the people who live there. <laughs> oh, dear. So- The solutions we have now aren't very good. For people who have wells, you dig a deeper well, which isn't always good because you're just stealing water from even further down. Damien mentioned if you're by the coast, you can do desalination. But not only is that energy intensive, at the end, you have a very toxic mix of highly salted brine and heavy metals that you have to get rid of and another option that we use sometimes is sewage treatment but that has a bunch of problems with it as well one it is really hard to get people to agree to it because no matter how much you explain to them that every drop of water they've ever had has been peed out by a fucking dinosaur like it every water is recycled it is the same fucking thing statistically a
0: percentage of your you every of every glass of water you drink is part of your dad's pee on
1: some... And, and not just because he's a horrible person who likes to really fuck with my water bottles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew who you meant. It was your dad, not my dad. I gotcha.
1: So that is part of it. But also, frankly, I just finished a six-week project up in Oceanside, California, next to a, a like sewage treatment plant. And I can tell you, as just a matter of fact, 24-7, that place smells like shit. Literally, you're talking suburbs, apartments, fucking elementary school, 24 hours a day. That place smells horrible. It is a neighborhood ruining thing. I couldn't even imagine living there. I had to work there for like nine hours a day. Every morning, every morning I drove up, I'm like, okay, so this isn't a temporary thing. This is just how this place smells. And then you get somewhat used to it. And you go off someplace to go get lunch and you come back and you're like, you just live your lives this way. You feel like yelling at everybody. You just live this way. (laughs) Yeah, the, you know what? There, there's a cost to be an eco-friendly, Bobby, and they're paying it. What are you doing? And, and obviously, energy intensive on that too. So one of the ideas that was put forth in this paper that might work in an, in arid environments near the coast is capturing the massive amount of water vapor that lies over the ocean at pretty much all times. So we have seen a few different ideas that work this way. There's actually a commercial thing that you can buy. I've looked into it because I'm, I'm looking to build a house. Somewhat newer technologies from a company out of Florida, I think it's called the Water Cube. And that's a, a shipping container, like a 20 foot shipping container you buy. You put it on your property, you, you hook it up to power and it can produce up to a thousand gallons of water a day just out of the air. Now, it is highly energy intensive in that case, and it is a new technology and and who knows how much it can work, but still super interesting. The idea is to use something kind of like this, but based on over the ocean directly, where this huge amount of water vapor is there at all times. Keep in mind, there is essentially rivers of water going through the air up in the ocean, up over the ocean at any given time. And if we could just pull some of that out, it would satisfy all of our water needs. And it's especially good because as these researchers point out, where most of our water supplies dwindle as climate change accelerates, the water vapor in the air is actually going to increase as the planet gets hotter and climate change increases. Meaning, we will have a bigger supply of water from this type of source as climate change accelerates.
0: Evaporating gold, you say? Just all around us, Bobby. We're, to, we're Bobby. This, this is science Faction is a is a, is not a landlocked podcast. We stand here at the precipice of uh, perhaps we should be some sort of uh, money making podcast about how to how we should we could be out
1: on the coastline uh sifted away evaporating dollar bills. Now the researchers looked at this from kind of a theoretical standpoint from that from a hypothetical machine. You're not 100% sure it, it doesn't it's using technology that does exist currently but not necessarily like technology that is ready for commercial production and some of it is somewhat hypothetical will everything work together, but they are using basic physics just like, you know, that water cube product out of Florida that's in a shipping container. It's a similar idea. So here is what they found. To quote the article, the researchers performed atmospheric and economic analysis of the placement of hypothetical offshore structures, 210 meters in width and 100 meters in height. Through their analysis, the researchers concluded that capturing moisture over ocean surfaces is feasible for many water-stressed regions worldwide. They estimated water yield at the proposed structure could provide fresh water for large population centers in the subtropics. And so basically it's the idea that you take these massive, uh, you make these massive structures off the coast and like a few of these might be able to give fresh water to an area the size of Southern California. Now, obviously, something 210 meters by 100 meters is not something small, and that would be very obtrusive in the viewshed and annoying to have out in the water for maritime reasons and whatnot, but regardless, there is enough places, there's enough coastline in Southern California that we can certainly find 210 meters worth to go throw this thing up if it was able to provide a water source for the entire region, and then think of places like India, where it's even hotter and more humid, and you have an even bigger coastline. You really could theoretically be producing a ton ton of fresh water now there'd still be energy inputs but that is you know to be expected there are still full issues like you could drink this water just fine however drinking this water isn't going to give you all you need because it doesn't have any minerals in it this is essentially distilled water you can go to the store and buy distilled water you can drink it it's not going to kill you or anything it just doesn't have the calcium it doesn't have all the minerals you need and so what you would do is add minerals if you were going to drink it but let's say you weren't let's say you just put this into the potable water system you know what else you just eliminated Calcium buildup, which you guys might think is just like, oh, that's annoying. Your shower head gets fucked. No, 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 no. Calcium buildup is responsible for a significant percentage of our water pipe replacement. The reason we have to replace so many water mains is they get smaller and smaller as levels of calcium buildup. If this was all distilled water right there from the air that didn't have any of that, you could add the calcium. You could add all that stuff at home, you know, when it came out of your faucet, but you would never have calcium buildup again on your shower head and we wouldn't have to be replacing half the pipes in the city every 10 years. We have
0: a ton of oil derricks just off the coast of Santa Barbara, just sitting there. We have the infrastructure, which just true to some of those uh, water capturing devices up there.
1: That's not a bad point. I mean, because not only do they have that, not only is the infrastructure those guys you haven't seen if you haven't driven up the five. Not only do they have these oil derricks, kind of like out on like little islands out in the in the middle of the water, but they also have the lines that run to them already, right? We already have like the pipes, and the you wouldn't have to sink any new pylons. You just stuck everything on there, you know? Yeah, very good point. I think it's super super interesting. Now, this is not unfortunately, you know, to all our. Our listeners in Tempe and and whatnot, this is not going to help anybody who is in a landlocked area that's far away from the coast, but there is a significant amount of drought areas, Southern California being one of the biggest in the world, that are near the coast and that could very well benefit from this type of technology. This might be where we are getting our drinking water from in a couple of decades, Davian. I'm still going to act like I'm better than
0: tap water, though, even though this water was just pulled from the Pacific Ocean like itself. It's like, ugh, still going to need to pay for my water.
1: But Damien, not only was this distilled water, the exact amount of proper minerals and nutrients were added just for you, for your particular health and taste preferences.
0: Yeah, but it's not in a plastic bottle.
1: I'd rather pay Nestle to pump it out and give it to me in a bottle already. I'd
0: rather have Nestle drain a Great Lake than have this and ship it across the fucking country to me. Yeah,
1: you got to have at least its weight in gasoline used to get it to me (laughs) in order for that to be something that's appealing. Very, very cool stuff. I love this stuff, whether it is the, uh, you know, history of cats showing us the history of agriculture and where all that came from, or the possibility of seeing a very, very real option for water production in the near future. So I hope you guys like that as well. I hope you come back for more Science Faction 641. Let me tell you something right now. No amount
0: of knowledge about the origin of cats are going to make me forget about what one of them tried to do to Jerry. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right.